This is the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a podcast for creatives, for those who are beginning to be creative or those who have built a business around their creativity. Here, we allow creatives to tell their story about how they got to where they are today, and we give some tips on how to make your creative business better than it was yesterday. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. Before I introduce my next guest, I want to remind you that we are on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pencils underscore lipstick. It's a long, <laughs> it seems long. Um, and there you can find the extra conversations that I'm having with people who were on the show last year. And we talk about things that they learned, um, things that they did right and didn't do right, and how they are going to conquer 2021. So if you're interested in that, be sure to go there and see those. So my guest for this week is Sarah Geringer. Hello, Sarah. How are you doing? Hi, Kat. It's nice to be here with you. Yes, it's so nice to get you here. We've had a few hiccups in the road, as is, you know, 2020 going into 2021. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's always some hiccups. So, as I usually let people do, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and tell people something about you? Well, I am finally living the life that I always wanted to live. I am a full time Christian writer. I'm also an author and an artist. I also have a podcast and I'm a coach to Christian creatives as well. Wow. Oh yeah. my gosh. So where should we start? Is it writing that you've always wanted to do or is it more creativity in general? Well, if you would have asked me when I was three years old, I would have told you that I wanted to be an artist. And I didn't really know that I wanted to be a writer until I was in junior high. And one of my teachers gave me a big compliment on one of my composition essays that I turned in. And she said, have you ever thought about being a writer? So I didn't have that idea until my teachers encouraged me. So they have played a big role in kind of shaping my interests. And so when I went to college, I uh, double majored in English and art because I really didn't want to choose between the two. I also played flute all the way through high school and college. So I always have been creative in some way. I think I was 13 when my parents let me have my own garden. So I love to garden. I love to cook. So anything creative gives me life. So it's Took a long time to get to the point where I could do that all the time. Right. Most of us creative people have to work, you know, day jobs before we can start living our dream. And, you know, if it wasn't for my husband uh, being the breadwinner of the family, I probably couldn't do this. But Mm -hmm. I'm just very grateful that I can rely on him to cover most of our expenses and then what I make is kind of the extra stuff. So that's good. Yes. So you, you did go to college though, to get a little more, I guess, formal education on your interests on art. What kind of art were you focused on? Uh, I majored in graphic design and illustration. And the reason I chose that is because I knew I could get a job as a graphic designer. I was going to ask you that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I knew that. And One of the things I was thinking about today in in preparation for this is when I was in high school, I was one of the newspaper editors and I uncovered this, I wouldn't call it a scandal, but it was this underground story. And we had like a weighting system in that certain classes counted for more points. Uh, Lots of high schools do this, like the AP classes are weighted heavier. So you get, you know, you can gain more on your grade point average for that. Well, none of the writing or none of the artistic classes were on there. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. You know, that does not make any sense. I'm in class with all these really talented people, people winning at the state band contest level. 
why isn't this going about? And so I did kind of this expose article <laughs> in high school with, with another classmate of mine. And uh, actually, after that, the school changed the program. Oh, good. So it, not right away, but I think they realized that, uh, you know, they had kept this under wraps kind of among the faculty for a while. And once people started talking about it, then, you know, I guess there was enough interest or pressure or what have you to change the system. So what I learned through that was that, you know, in the Midwest in the 1990s, that was not exactly the best place to start an art career. If you want right. to, this is before I graduated in 95 and they, the only place you could use the internet was at the university library. So mm-hmm. It was, I think, another year or two years before it started coming into the high school. So as far as how we can market online and sell things online, that was non-existent at the time. So I assumed that if I was going to get a job, I would have to be working on the commercial end, right. not in the fine arts, uh, even though the fine arts are what I loved. Uh, that's where I was passionate. That's where, I mean... I, I don't mean to say this in a, you know, self-promoting way, but I was always the best artist in all of my classes. Mm. Uh, it was until I got to college that I was actually with other people who now, you know, were in New York as full-time artists. So, so it was a long time before I actually even met people that were on my same level. And right. that was great. Like I felt you know, challenged and gained ideas from them. And uh, it just made me a better artist. It made them better artists. So I think artists always work better in community. We can gain from each other. Writers are the same way. So even though I think, like I said, when I was a little, little girl, you know, art was my passion. And then when I was a teenager, writing became the passion But when I was out of college and got a job as a receptionist, a lot of you are nodding your heads out there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've I've done that kind of job, answering the phone, right, and filing and stuff. And I felt like something died inside of me. You know, like my professors were telling me, you need to go to graduate school. You need to teach. You know, you're a leader among your peers. And I knew I didn't want to teach. I was 100% sure I did not want to do that. So I also knew I wasn't really ready. I didn't want to move to a big city. I'm a fifth generation resident of Southeast Missouri. I wanted to stay here Mm. knowing how hard it would be to find a job in the arts. But I just kind of thought if I put that on the back burner for a little while, you know, maybe, maybe the day will come that I will be able to pursue my dreams. And uh, that whole time, I was writing in journals. So from age 10 all the way till today, I write in journals. And so I think that I was honing the craft of writing more than I was art. Hmm. Not because I didn't want to do both, but because an art class, I I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts, so the art classes were three hours long. (laughs) So it's very time consuming to make art by hand. And that's part of the beauty of it because you're pouring your heart and soul into it, but it's very time consuming. And so, you know, at the end of the day, working at my day job, I was tired as, as much as I wished I could create, I just couldn't, I didn't have the energy to do that. And then when I became a mom, I got married, became a mom, and it's almost like having children strangely reawakened that desire in me. And I loved being a mom. I was a work from home mom. So I got to be with my babies the whole time. But I think because motherhood was so fulfilling to me, it sort of reminded me of that deep fulfillment that I got from creating things. And so I think it reawakened that desire in me to create. And uh, I'm I'm a keeper. Uh, my husband would call me a hoarder, but I'm not. 
I'm not to that level yet. Okay. I'm, I'm a keeper. All right. So, so last night I went, I knew exactly where it was. A lot of us keepers are like that. Like you give us five minutes, we'll find anything in our giant stacks and piles of stuff. Right. So I found this article that I had kept in this drawer and I, it was from when uh, in touch Dr. Charles Stanley's uh, ministry used to send out a monthly mini magazine. Mm. And so I got that and there was an article. I'm looking at it right now. This is the October 2005 issue of that magazine. And the article is called the call to create. Hmm. And I left it in that drawer open to this article. Cause I wanted to remind myself, you have a call to create. This is something that God put on your life and you need to pursue it. And the, the article says you used to paint, sing, dance, draw, on and on and on. And you felt truly alive when you did it. But what if the call to create is just as real now as it was then? And it's coming from the creator himself. Oh, and I beautiful. remember, yeah, yeah. And it's at, it was written by Janice Elsheimer. And it says she has a book. I need to check that out. Well, there was an Amazon back then where you could just like, well, right. by done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I just remember looking back at this. It's, I see it now. It is tear stained. I remember crying when I read this because it was like this desire inside me that couldn't express itself. And I know that the creatives listening right now are going to understand what I mean. Like you can't not do it. That's kind of how I felt, but in my season of nursing babies and changing diapers, I really couldn't do it, but uh, it just kept me interested in it and trying to do what I could when I had time. Yeah. It's like you, you don't have time to do it, but you know that you should be doing it. It's like that weird pull, like, yes, pull and Mm -hmm. and you don't feel right. Like I need to do this. And it's hard because unless you have creatives alongside of you, maybe if you live in New York or something, most people don't understand that. They're like, well, what? just sit right. down and draw a little bit and you'll be fine. And like you said, if you start, you're probably going to be there for like four hours and the toddler is not going to put up with that. <laughs> you know? Oh, and you know, for a while, I'm just remembering this now. Um, I would go to the local arts council and they had Wednesday night drawing group. I think they still have it. They've had it for a long, long time. And I made time to do that a handful of times. But when your child goes to bed at seven Mm -hmm. and you get up at six, driving 30 minutes to get there, getting home at 1030 at night, it was, I couldn't make it work. But even the people in that group were like, wow, you just put that together. Like they had drawn an arm, you know, as a new drawing class, they had drawn an arm or maybe a torso. And I draw the whole person and gone onto the second page, like on a different pose. And they're like, wow, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I knew even, even for that, maybe four or five times I went, it was affirming to me that I needed to do this, but it just might not have been the right season for me to pour my whole self right. into. And time goes by fast. You know, like the day yeah. will go by really quickly, especially if you are working at home or you're at home. It's like you wake up and maybe the morning feels a bit slow. And then all of a sudden it's nap time. It's time to pick up the kindergartner. It's time to make dinner. You know, they got to get outside. You got to be outside with them. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> you might get arrested. Mm-hmm. So there's like... Yeah, it it's strange because I think a lot of people, especially women, find themselves in that spot. And but what brought you to the point where you're like, I have to do this? Because I think sometimes some people choose to just continue going without it. And what you know, that might bring up bitterness or resentment or just regret, but you chose to to pursue it. So what happened? that you decided you had to? Well, it really started with writing first, honestly. Uh, In 2009, I started going to counseling uh, for 
a whole bunch of junk that had happened. I, I'm a child of divorce and I'm married to a child of divorce. I have a podcast for adult children of divorce. So it's something that I am passionate about helping people finding uh, hope and healing for. And it took me five years of counseling to uh, work through all the hangups that I had mm-hmm. over that. And uh, the thing that led me to go to counseling is I was having memories about this person that I hadn't seen in 15 years and I didn't know why. And it was because I had received some grief handbooks for when one of my relatives died and this memory of this person came up. I'm like, that has nothing to do with it. But I think it was a, it was a situation that God wanted me to grieve Mm. and, uh, grief, won't let you go. It's going to keep hammering on you and you've got to process it or it's going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to leak out however it needs to, because it's just too strong and too powerful. So when I prayed about it and I said, God, what do you want me to do about this? And the, I just heard him say over and over again, right, 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 right. And so I have a photographic memory. Wow. And so what I wrote was everything I could remember about my interactions with this person. And as I was doing this, it was like my grief was being dismantled, but then it was, as it was being dismantled, all these other situations that played into that, that I didn't realize before had any connection and my family junk started coming out. Hmm. And so, um, I actually write about this whole thing in the regretful thoughts chapter of my book, Transforming Your Thought Life, Christian Meditation and Focus. And that came out in October, 2019. Hmm. So um, I'll get to that part of the story in a minute. But so writing is what led me to a healing place. Okay. And, uh, and I started blogging. That's kind of when blogging was in its heyday around 2010. And I would start for a while and stop, start for a while and stop uh, just because of the the pain and difficulty I was still d- dealing with in therapy. Sometimes it was too difficult to write. Mm-hmm. I had to work through that first. And then I started a job as a high school secretary, which I don't think there's a worse job for <laughs> <laughs> an introvert and a highly creative person. Uh, I was interrupted every minute and a half of the day. Uh, and I'm also a highly sensitive person, so I can't take that much um, stimulus. Like I and working with hundreds of people all day long and teenagers, you know, are, are a group that can be difficult to deal with. Uh, so to deal with the stress that I had of that job, I threw myself into writing. Hmm. Uh, and that helped a lot. And uh, in 2015, I was working there and I got serious about blogging. And I saw a an ad on Facebook for a course by Michael Hyatt. Okay. And it was his Get Published course. He's his book platform is amazing for anyone who's trying to uh, advance their creative career. I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. And so I went through this course, and uh, one thing that he said was, you know, one of the chapters was why you should consider traditional publishing versus self-publishing. And, and so um, I thought about that. And I thought, you know, what I could do on my journey to, with the hopes of getting traditionally published someday is to just self-publish a few books Hmm. because then I would have something for my readers to enjoy. And if I get speaking engagements then I'd have something to sell there, something for them to take home, you know? So I started self-publishing some short books because that's all I could write. I was working full time. So And my kids were like, you know, 10, eight, and six at that time. So I'm blessed to live 
close to their grandparents, right? So I would say you're going to grandma's this weekend and I'm going to write, you know, a bunch of chapters. And so I self-published three books and that was amazing because it was like all of my skills come together. Like I could design the covers and write the content and have a product to sell. That's very, very satisfying, you know? And then I got brave. I also got completely burnt out of my job, which had turned into a toxic people situation. And so I quit in May of 2017 to start freelancing full-time. And that was really scary. For writing. (laughs) For writing and graphic design too. graphic design. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a leap of faith. But I had a drive to do this. Yeah, I was uh, turning 40 that year. And I have talked to my other friends who turned 40, and they all agree that this happened to them. It's like when you're 40, you just decide you don't really care what people think about you anymore. It's like a switch goes off and you're like, I'm free you know? Yeah. And I think another switch goes off where you're like, Hey, I'm at the middle of my life. I want to do something that makes me happy and uses all these skills and talents that God has planted inside of me. I want to bring those to life. Mm -hmm. I want to bless other people with them, you know? So the first several jobs I found as a freelancer were not exactly what I wanted to do. But, you know, they portfolio building, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, they were like, I, my main job was ghostwriting for criminal defense attorneys. So uh, how did you get that job? I just applied for all kinds of jobs on Upwork. Wow. And uh, I I found this I remember Upwork. Is that still around? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's where I found most of them. And uh, this one paid fairly decently compared to other ones. And uh, so I started it and I didn't love it. But uh, I mean, every week I was writing DUIs, uh, drug charges, you know, theft, robbery, all kinds of could get some good like police ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I realized after doing that and they would forward me the links and I'd have to read the actual statutes because every state's laws are different, you know, so Alabama might have certain, you know, punishments while Colorado is something totally different. So I would be literally reading the statutes of those states on this particular law and then referencing some other articles and then just kind of pulling all that together not rewriting, but like kind of using those pieces, writing, it was like writing research papers right? as an English student back okay. in college, you know? But I mean, technically speaking, I was like a first year law student, honestly, for as much as I was doing, I was writing 15 or 16 articles a week. Oh my God. So yeah, it was a lot. Oh my gosh. It was a lot. But after, um, like that's that's interesting but it's not exactly what you were hoping to do I'm sure what what it did for me writing those legal articles is it gave me a respect for what lawyers have to do it's hard work they have to know a lot and they have to be tough Mm. and they have to be they have to kind of disconnect emotionally from what's going on I don't know how you could do it you know especially criminal criminal defense especially but once, once I started writing the heavy duty stuff, like the sexual abuse, elder abuse, child trafficking, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I realized I wanted to help as much as those perpetrators need rehabilitation and compassion and help. I mean, I donate to prison fellowship, so I have nothing. I don't have a vendetta against uh, people who are convicted of federal crimes. but. I realized who I wanted to help was the victims. Mm. That's who I wanted to advocate for. And I think there's something to be said on both sides of that, you know? And so 
that's when I quit and I started uh, writing more for Christian counselors and other ministries. That was more my lane. That was what I was comfortable in. Uh, that's my area of expertise. So I can crank those out a lot faster, mm. you know, because I don't have to think about it really. I, I just know it. So um, I would say if anybody on here is listening and wants to try Upwork, you know, it's it's one of those things that you really have to uh, learn by trial and error, mm-hmm. you know, and you've got to you got to form a base somehow. If you don't have any freelance experience, you've got to start somewhere and you might have to write what I call crap articles, you know, <laughs> to just get a resume built up, right? But o- over time, you can establish yourself and maybe get a little bit higher paying jobs uh, right. in time, but it takes perseverance and grit and determination. And you have to check in every day to see if there's new jobs and your keywords that you have, but that's what I did. And I was making, I was making as much as a high school secretary they don't get paid a lot, but in half the hours per week. So, and no interruptions. Well, interruptions. (laughs) Oh, that was so blissful to not have to answer the phone and the doorbell and take the lunch count and all the millions of hats that I wore. It's but, just, it's funny when you're doing something that you're just that created to do and, and how miserable you are. And it's funny because yes. somebody else could look at you and be like, what an easy job. What are you complaining about? But right. if you're not created to do it, it's like, I'm miserable. I'd rather mop floors. Than I know. Like, I literally would have. I, I call it like when you pet a cat backwards, yeah. you know, it's when they lay their ears flat because they're like, Dude, I do not want to be petted in this direction. (laughs) That's how I felt, you know, and (laughs) feeling that way for, you know, 30 seconds, you can handle, but every day for seven and a half hours, not so great day after day after day. And I think one of the greatest things about this time in which we live, uh, even compared to when I started doing this in 2015, there's just so much more opportunity Mm -hmm. through the internet that we didn't have even just a few short years ago. Yeah. So you really can make a career out of this. If you're going to be persistent, you're going to continue to put out good content and you know, you're going to, you're just going to have that resolve that this is what you're going to do. I think there's something about you need perseverance, no matter when you start creativity. I think when you're, when you're looking to earn money from it, you need perseverance because you have to build up that resume, right? No matter what you're doing, people don't just take your word for it that you are the best writer, best artist for the job. But there's something to being a little bit older, to like you said before, to being like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm doing you're it. Right. <laughs> you know, there are times that I look back at being 20 and I always had the dream of like, you know, New York Times bestseller writer, you know, that was always in the back of my head. But I look back now and I'm like, thank God I wasn't because I don't think I could have handled it. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, maybe I would have made the right decisions or not. I think not, but whatever, (laughs) you know, I, I just think, gosh, when you're young, you don't know anything, but you have so much ego but you're also kind of broken and you also don't know anything and you're so wrapped up, especially these days, like being young these days with the internet, with social media, with all that. I, I don't know how our young people are, are handling it. They feel probably pressure to be everything all the time and to launch their careers right now. Even when, even when you're 22, you know, you don't know anything, you know, you don't know as much as you should, but you feel like you should, you should, shouldn't tell anyone that you don't. <laughs> it's like such a conundrum. It's almost like such a relief to be older and be like, yeah, it's okay that I don't know everything. Like just being able to say that and be like, yeah, it's all right. I'm learning. It's okay. I don't know how you feel about that, but I was like, I'd, I'd almost, I'd almost advise people to wait, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> you know? There's, there's good and bad. Yeah, I agree in terms of, I think 
I have more life experience to inform uh, what I write about, what I draw or paint Mm -hmm. even. I just have, not that what I was creating back then, you know, I look, I actually have a note, a little, um, it's a Cabbage Patch Kids sketchbook from my childhood. (laughs) And uh, I remember showing my kids this book, you know, these drawings and it had the dates in it, you know, 1984, 1985. So I knew how old I was when I produced this. And this was when they were in the same grade, you know, second, third, fourth grade. Right. And they're like, mom, they're like that, like, that's better than anybody can draw in my class. You know, when it's still my drawing from 1985, a little Easter picture or Thanksgiving or whatever. And that was another thing that told me, you know, I had this raw talent, Mm -hmm. like I have this talent, but just because you have talent when you're 20, you know, when you're fresh out of college, doesn't mean you're ready yet. Right. And I, again, I think like we've been talking about, the more that you can get, the more that you allow other creatives to speak into your career, to shape you and inform you and encourage you and challenge you, I think the better that you get. And one thing that helped me in my writing, mm-hmm. uh, this is when I was just starting out, this is like 2013, I joined a local writer's guild. And that taught me a lot because these are people, mo- almost all of them were retired, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and yet they were self-publishing. They were sending articles to magazines. Uh, they were compiling. We had a couple of times where we would compile our own little book, you know, and have a contest of the the best ones could get published in there. And so that was a really good place to start kind of like building a little nest for my dream to be a writer, because I had these people around me that were further ahead of me, mm-hmm. but that were also encouraging me. Like, if I can do this, you can do this, right. you know, and you're 20 years younger than me, you know, you yeah. can, you're way ahead of the game, you know? So that really helped encourage me to pursue my dreams because I knew I became friends with people in this area, this, you know, small town living uh, Southeast Missouri, not exactly an art hub, right? But connecting with the creatives here uh, lifted me up and encouraged me to keep going. So it's just so, so hard. I look at the times when I was by myself before I joined the guild, and it was just so hard to keep that motivation. And right. I think when, you know, when you see other people accomplishing things, then you're like, well, yeah, I need to do something. So I have something to say at next month's meeting, you know? Yeah. So, and I think it gives you more encouragement rather than the sort of nihilistic, you're all by yourself. Oh, that person just published and they're much younger than me. Guess I better just go back to diapers or something. <laughs> you know, yeah. We all sort of battle in our heads. I think, especially if you're a woman and for what, for whatever circumstances have put aside your creativity, you know, and everyone has a different reason for it. But a lot of times when you're older too, you can look back and be like, I'm almost glad, like you're saying that I had, that I put that aside. And then I too went to therapy that helps always. Let's just <laughs> let mm-hmm. everyone know. Therapy definitely helps you like process through and not, not look at it as like, oh, I wasted so many years. And instead, like you're saying, like I grew, I'm older, I'm wiser, I know more. Instead of there are times that I read articles these days where I'm like, that's definitely written by a 25-year-old who had to Google what this was about. You know, and right. I mean they're just doing their job, but wouldn't it be better if a 45 year old wrote about <laughs> what this article is about? So I even tell people if, if you have a dream, like you're saying, I think Michael Hyatt says it a lot, like there's a reason why there were sort of detours along the way of life. 
you can't always assume that you messed up or you wasted the time. Maybe we all waste a little time, you know, but there's, if there's an opportunity now, just cause you're 50, doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. We have a weird concept of age. Like we should all mm-hmm. be famous at 20. Why? Mm-hmm. We'll all mess it up. <laughs> you are making me think of something that, uh, one of my bosses at, uh, the place where I started out as a receptionist as soon as I graduated from college. Uh, it was an ad agency. So mm-hmm. I was hoping that maybe I'd get a job as a graphic designer right. there, you know. But uh, she was she was really a neat lady and she's just a straight shooter, but she she also had a soft side to her. And she said, you know, she said, Sarah, she said, because what they did is they moved me I was wearing a bunch of hats there and they put me on as an event coordinator for the home and garden show. And so I had to sell booths and like sales is not what I wanted to do at all. Like uh, anything you said, mopping floors, I would have mopped the entire arena rather than sell one booth, you know, but this is what she said. And I've thought about this a million times since she said it. She said, Sarah, you will never, uh, you're, you're always going to benefit from sales experience. You'll never regret a season of having to do sales because it pushes you out of your comfort zone. It teaches you people skills. It teaches you professionalism. And, you know, it makes you hungry because you've got to sell this because it's your job. You know, and I realize now as a traditionally published author, uh, you know, most of the, the huge, huge onus is on the author to do the marketing. Right. So the publishing house gives you a little bit of help. And I'm very grateful to all the help that my publisher gave me. But it was my energy and time investment and money that really sold the books more than anything else. And what I think happened, I can see now God's hand in that, even though I could not see that as a time, I took it as a major slam, right. you know, back when I was 23 years old. Right. But now I see how he was using that experience of uh, selling booths at the home show. And after I left that job as a receptionist, then I was the event coordinator for that event for nine years. So I sold lots of booths and ads and all kinds of stuff. Definitely not what I wanted to do, but I know I can do it. I literally did it for 10 years. So it gave me that confidence that I now selling my book is a piece of cake compared to selling something I didn't even want to sell. Yeah. You know? So if you have a job where you're in customer service or sales, it's actually going to make you a better artist or musician or writer or producer, whatever you're doing. Uh, It's going to make you better at that because it's increasing your confidence and it's increasing your skill set that you need to do the marketing side of your job, which is probably 60% of it, quite honestly. That That's an amazing thing to point out because I think a lot of us, when we're younger, we, we look at our jobs in the in-between time as like, I got to do this. And I judge, mm-hmm. you know, just get through it like wet sand. But really what you're saying is like, just look around you and see what you can learn from it, because this is going to give you some skills that you never know when you're going to use down the line. And like thinking of that, I wish somebody had said that to me at 20 because I had many jobs. (laughs) I moved around (laughs) a lot. There were many jobs and a lot of them I took for granted, Mm -hmm. but you're always learning something. But if you could have the mindset, if somebody would sort of tap you in as a younger person to, to look for something, look around you, look what you can learn, um, and keep that in mind, it would really be helpful. I think in your twenties, like that whole decade, (laughs) you know, when you're really kind of getting your feet wet in all the different, whatever industry you're in, 
but especially as creatives, because like you said, most of us have to earn money somehow. Mm -hmm. We're not just like selling our books and making tons of money at 22. Even if you are writing books, you're probably not able to live off of it unless you're really, really fortunate and blessed. So yeah, that, that's a great point. Wish I could go back in time and tell my 20 year old, (laughs) have a better mindset about the jobs. Um, But you seem to be kind of like a multi niche creative. Do you consider yourself one? Yeah, I do. I do. I think I was in the gifted program when I was a student and all of my teachers told me, well, you should do this. You should do this. I mean, even when I got to college, you know, my flute teacher said, why are you not majoring in music? You know, why are you not French teacher? Why are you not majoring in French? You know, so I, I just, you know, think the Lord, I've always, there's a parable of the talents and I've always seen myself as the person with the five talents. That was the most And that parable is not just about artistic talents, but I took it as such. Mm -hmm. Like uh, there's another verse that my mom used to tell me growing up and it says to whom much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. So I felt like if God trusted me with all these skills in writing, music, art, even acting, Uh, Now I'm using that in my YouTube videos. Not that I'm the world's greatest, but there's so many authors that are terrified Mm -hmm. of getting on video, but video is the fastest, easiest way to grow your platform. And for me, it doesn't make me one bit of difference because I had acting classes, Mm. you know? So I think God has used all those things, all those little bits and pieces to make me into what I need to do today to minister to the tribe that I have for the different, you know, the different needs that they have, the different wants that they have, you know, I was just going to say that must make you a really good creative coach because you can kind of see and have background on what they need and maybe get them started even on how to start. (laughs) Yeah. That is, that is something I've only done for about um, uh, about six months, and it's a hugely rewarding mm-hmm. uh, part of my job because I feel like I'm using the information that I've learned through trial and error and hopefully, you know, streamlining the process for someone else and saving them time of mm-hmm. having to go through all these steps and then seeing them grow in their platforms and their, you know, blogs and all their other creative endeavors, you know, using the advice that I gave them, it's very, very fulfilling. Right. And it's, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun to, to come alongside somebody else and help them. So, um, yeah, that's, that's something I, uh, offer in addition to, you know, I, I still ghostwrite for a consortium of counselors Wow. and that is, that is amazing because I feel like uh, behind the scenes, I'm helping people who were where I was mm-hmm. uh, before I entered counseling. And, you know, they're, they're trying to overcome the stigma of going to a counselor and they're looking at things online and trying to decide what's for them. And I hope and pray that the articles I write that don't have my name on them, that's fine. I sign over the rights for that, but are going to move them to think, well, you know, I want to dig into this more, you know? And so that's a hugely rewarding thing too. It's just, that's more in secret. And the coaching is that one on one interaction. So is that something that you started in 2020? It is something I started in 2020. Is it because of 2020 that you started it or did you have it? the idea already? No, I was actually in a mastermind group and this was in August or so. And I only met with it twice about 12 people and mostly other Christian podcasters, mm-hmm. uh, but I hadn't started my podcast yet. I, I joined it. Cause I said, <laughs> I said, I'm all about being a podcast guest, but I don't want to 
host a podcast and it's because Watch I don't have time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. And I said, I don't have time. It's not that I don't have the desire or whatever. I don't have time, you know? So what happened is I said, what I need is cash flow right now. Some of my clients have dried up and I need more um, cash flow. And so a few of those ladies in that group were like, I need somebody, you know, and I don't want to hire somebody off of 5R because I want an American who speaks native English, who I can trust. And I'm gladly willing to pay you three or four more times an hour, just because I know that you know what you're talking about. Right. You know, so there's, I want to encourage people too, because that's the danger of Upwork. You're competing with people from all around the world who are literally 19 years old and willing to do something for two hours and make $5. Yeah. Like don't sell yourself short. Right. Keep persisting until you find something. You might have to do that for like a month. And then after that, move on to something else because you deserve better than that. I'm just saying. Right. And don't be afraid to talk about your talents in other groups like you did, you know, like Christian yeah. podcasting group maybe you wouldn't make the connection that you could, you could find clients there. But if you just speak up and say, this is what I do, you never know. That was not, I did not go into that mastermind that day thinking I was going to walk out with four new clients, but I did. (laughs) That's amazing. You know? So yes, you you're right. You have to just speak up because you just don't know. You just don't know who can use your services. And there's a lot of people that can use your services. But I personally think it's more moving toward online than local. Mm. Now I'm in a really small environment catcher in a big city. So that might be a little bit different, but I just think generally speaking, it's more convenient for people to deal with it online than go around knocking on doors of businesses, trying to drum up, uh, you know, writing uh, services or something like that. So and so, yeah, after after being in that mastermind, I was in the group and I'm listening to these ladies talk and I literally heard God's still small voice tell me in the middle of this. And usually if I hear that voice, it's when I'm walking in my woods or quiet in my bedroom. It's not usually among other people, you know, because it's just not the way it works because I'm learning from other people, mm-hmm. you know. But I heard him speak and he said, you know, that book that you want to write for adult children of divorce, right? You need to start a podcast first. I'm like, well, okay. And then one of the ladies in the group said, hey, my son, he graduated this year, class of 2020, you know, and he's not ready to go to college yet, but he's, he's taking on podcast editing. So what I got, I got this big contract from one of the ladies in that group. And I just took a chunk of it out to pay him to produce my podcast. Yep. So it all worked together, you know, cause I literally cannot, I do not have enough time right. to learn how to, even though I probably could, if I sat down, I don't have enough time to do that. And so I rely on him to get it out there and make it look good. And um, it all works out. Yeah. Yeah. There are times that you have to say no. Even if you think I could probably figure that out. Like, and you're helping him, you know, and I'm helping him. so <laughs> that's right. And, and he's, you know, again, it's like, okay, I could probably hire somebody somewhere in India, you know, to do this for $5 an episode, but who knows if it's going to be on time, if it's going to be the quality I want. So I'm happy to support a fellow American too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A young so, person seeing if they like it, yeah. if they want to pursue it further or not. Yeah. And there are certain things that you have to be able to get in contact with the person quickly without a time difference. Exactly. You know, not are, that. Because and there's I, nothing wrong with Fiverr in some ways, but no. I've worked with some people where I'm like, oh, there's a nine hour time difference, which means I won't hear back from them till tomorrow at six. Like, exactly. That's what happened with some of my international clients that I was writing for. It was just, it made it difficult. Yeah. It made it difficult 
for somebody in the Pacific time zone and I'm in central. Yeah, so I know. It's weird. Eight time zones away is a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. You're, they're like, I need it now. And you're like, it's two in the morning. <laughs> I can't do that. You know? So you, is the book that's coming out, is that the one for a, adults? How does it, how do you say it? Adult children of divorce? No. no. Uh-uh. So it's completely so, different. So you're like doing so yeah. many things. So let's talk yeah. about the book that's coming out this fall. Okay. So just to recap, the my first traditionally published book was the one on Christian meditation mm-hmm. that came out in October of 2019. Okay. And so I was hosting my book launch for that. And uh, in the launch group, okay, these ladies in the launch group were saying, hey, I used your book today with my teenage daughter. It really, really helped her. Have you ever thought about writing a book for teen girls? And I'm like, no, you know, like my teenage years are still the darkest of my life. I was suicidally depressed. So like I told you, I have a photographic memory, not exactly the ones I want to go back and relive, you know, but since four or five of them, you know, said, you know, my Gen Z girl loved this chapter. Do you have one that would have more examples that are more relevant to her life? You know, because I wrote it for primarily, you know, women between the ages of 30 and 55, something like that. Uh, So I approached my publisher with it and like sight unseen, they gave me a green light on this project. So I'm like, well, I'm going to have to do that. You have to do it. (laughs) Yeah. So actually uh, I signed the book contract in early March, like March 6th. Yay. Shutdown happens a week later. Well, and I didn't know, (laughs) see, it didn't happen until around March 14th. And so what I did is I actually asked my publisher if they would move the deadline up because I had written my other book between May and August when my kids are home with me uh, from school and I dealt with severe mommy guilt that Mm -hmm. summer. You know, it was terrible. It's the hardest thing I ever had to do. Literally in terms of like a work project, it was so, so hard. And I had told my kids and myself, if I have a choice, I will never do that again. That was my first book. I was at the mercy of, you know, being a first time author. Didn't feel like I had any leverage, right? I won't intentionally do that again. So I asked (laughs) the second time around, I'm like, can we move up the date? Like, I don't want to turn it in August 1st. I'd rather turn it in June 1st. And they're like, sure, you know? So then, yeah, like 10 days later, quarantine hit, Everybody's home. (laughs) And they, yes. And I, you know, we're all as a culture processing this, like, how long is this going to last? Like, I can't go to the, the, grocery store and buy toilet paper. Are you kidding me? You can't even go to the coffee shop and write, Like you can't leave your kids. You're at home. So I was just processing this. Like all of us were, you know, I couldn't write. I could write on my blog. I have a, a weekly newsletter for my, my tribe. So I was doing that. I was writing my client articles, but when I write a book, and you probably understand this, Kat, it's like you kind of have to enter this world, yeah. you know, and wrap your mind around the line of the narrative and how all the chapters are going to fit together and running a common thread through them. Like it's it's hard, you know. I, I've compared it to you know, when I was an English major, I would have to write a 20 to 30 page research paper. And I've compared it to writing 18 of those that all link together. That's what it feels like to produce a a nonfiction book, you know, and I mentally just could not, I could not get there. I just couldn't not in, not with pandemic brain, you know, so finally, I'm. It's coming up on May first, and I'm like, and we're still <sighs> shut down. <laughs> yes, and my kids. By that time, you know, they had said no school the rest of the year. You know, so I'm like, but I oh, have really big your kids. school shut down. Like they they weren't yeah, even. Yeah, but uh, 
April 1st or so they, they said, and we're just, we're shutting down. It was the whole state of Missouri did, Wow, I believe. And so my kids are big kids, 16, 14, and 12. They can fend for themselves, you know? So really it was on me, you know, like I know I told myself, I had this conversation with myself. I know I can ask my publisher and they won't care to give me an extension. But it's almost like I wanted to put myself under this challenge, Mm -hmm. you know, like I wanted to see if I could do it. And I knew that, first of all, the book is a rewrite in a sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's the same idea, but packaged differently, Uh, different stories, you know, in every chapter. And the chapters had to be shortened by 1,500 words because teenagers have shorter attention spans than adults in terms of reading. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, the chapters had to be, it's kind of like using a recipe with five ingredients. Like you have to really focus on the quality, you know? Right. So it's, even though it was cutting, I had to be careful to not sacrifice the quality, but it was easier to do this because I knew most of it was a rewrite, but I also knew because I conducted a, a poll, a survey of some teen girls, what their top struggle areas were, because my book uh, is the first chapter is an intro to uh, Christian meditation and the benefits of it and how to do it. And then the other chapters are thought life problem areas, mm-hmm. like anxious thoughts, angry thoughts, self-condemning thoughts. So you can see how this was just going to be a rewrite for the teens, but there were four more areas that they deal with that the adults didn't talk about, you know, no surprise. Right. So I knew I'd have to build four new chapters from scratch. Right. But I thought, okay, it's May 1st. I can write this book in 31 days because, you know, 18 chapters of it are already really written. You know, I'll just take a chapter a day, you know, Monday through Friday, chip away at it. And then I'll reserve those last two weeks for making the new ones and editing the book, like self-editing it. Cause I always read it through two or three times before I turn it in, you know? And I mean, it was a push, (laughs) but I got it done. And now, because I turned it on on June 1st and produced it in 31 days. And I think I, t- I took Sundays off, like to give my brain a break, but I am so proud yeah. of the fact that I wrote a whole book during quarantine. Yes. You know? Yeah. It, it was a huge accomplishment. Right. Yeah. It was mind over matter. Yes. Like you said, yes. it really was. And I really feel like I did the best I could, you know, for those girls, the book comes out in October of 2021. So I'm going to be building my launch team for that this summer. If any of you listening are moms of girls between the ages of 13 and 16, or you're a youth leader or counselor or pastor, I would love for you to join the team. Very cool. Uh, So that's my next project coming out. And yes, it was birthed during quarantine. It makes me even happier that (laughs) it came out of such a hard, hard time. And I, the one thing I wished is that it would have been available for those girls. Then, you know, I wish I could have just released it to them then, but God has a plan for the timing of it. Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah, he has a plan because I think psychologically though, that mountain was that you had to get over everyone had, and not everyone is yet over it. You know, because like thinking back, I'm so glad this didn't happen when I was a teenager. Like I I feel (laughs) slightly selfish saying that, but I'm so glad. Um, So I'm sure they will still have, maybe they'll be at the point where they'll want to get over the mountain, you know, and they'll be ready to get there. So that that is really cool. Um, And it's just a testament to a lot of it is psychological. You just have to sit yourself down and determine that you're going to do it, you know? So that's really, that is so cool. So what's the name of the book? It's going to be Transforming Your Thought Life for Teens, Renew Your Mind with God. So you have a podcast, you write, you um, coach, 
where can people find all of these things about you if they need or just want to know more about you or need one of your services? <laughs> yeah, you can just go to the front page of sarahgeringer.com and all my socials are listed. I have my Etsy shop on there. I have all my stuff on there. So you can find it all right there. Awesome. And I love having multi-niche creatives on because it just shows, I think there's a lot of women, especially our age, who can do a lot of things and mm-hmm. they're, they aren't always encouraged to take it public. And my goal, my mission in life is to tell them to take it public, whether it's, you know, to earn money for their favorite fundraiser or just to have the satisfaction of making things pretty for other people or to make a business. And you don't have to be just one thing, you know, like if God right. has created you, like he's created you, Sarah, there are so many different things that you can do. Um, yeah, get going, start doing it. <laughs> Even if I just, um, talked to a woman, I'm going to be talking to her later this week. She's 80 and she's going to publish her first book. It's like, and she even said, she's like, I, it's the right time now. I know so many things. So like, exactly. I love that. I love that attitude. I love it. So so is there anything that you want to leave us with that you've sort of learned through 2020 or you're going into 2021 that you want to leave with the creative out there, whether they're just starting out, whether they haven't started yet, or they're just in the midst of it, like you and I. Yeah. So something I just started in December. So just a few weeks ago, we're recording this in January. Uh, I read a book called Sacred Rest by Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. And she talks about needing different kinds of rest Hmm. to replenish us, not just physical sleep. And it's an amazing book. So I highly recommend it. I've written a post called When You Need a New Kind of Rest on my blog. And it has my takeaways from that book in it. And one of those is creative rest. And so that really resonated with me yeah. uh, as I read this book and I thought, you know what, I have also heard that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in something that's, it's a commonly circulated idea. Uh, maybe it's not quite 10,000, but that's a good number to, right. you know, so I think that I have logged, I'm sure I'm sure I've logged 10,000 hours of writing since I graduated with a BA in English, but I have not logged 10,000 hours of art production since I graduated with my BFA. So one thing that I have done for the last few weeks is my 12-year-old daughter and I are having what we're calling Art Sundays. And so we just get our stuff out and just do something for a half hour or so, listen to music, just have fun. I mean, I do want to restock my Etsy shop eventually, but this is just playing around, mm-hmm. you know? And it's filling back, like uh, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith Smith says, if you're a creative for the living, like I am, you have to fill back up with something creative. It might not be, doesn't have to be intense necessarily. Right but you have to fill back up with what you're pouring out. So I feel like I'm filling back up in my work as a writer by, you know, pouring back in with just art for fun. That's cool. So that's something I'm doing and I've done it three Sundays in a row and I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. I like that idea. That sounds really cool. And it's a fun thing to do with your daughter too. It is. I think to show our daughters, not just tell our daughters to take care of yourself and that self-care is different for everyone. So that is a really Mm -hmm. cool idea. I'm going to get that book. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on and sharing your story with us and your encouragement. I will put the links below at sarahgeringer.com. It's G-E-R-I-N-G-E-R. But the links will be below as they usually are. And thank you again. Thank you. It's been a delight to be here and talk about this with you. Hey, you're still listening. 
Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.